Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. I am Chris Solomon, and back for, I believe, the third time is author of the New York Times best-selling number one book, Slaying the Tiger, A Year Inside the Ropes on the New PGA Tour, Shane Ryan. Shane, the book came out last week. What has the last week of your life been like? It has been a madcap, wild house romp. Uh, it, yeah, it's been good, man. It's, uh, the reaction, I think, has been hugely favorable. Um, there is, it's sold really well. It's sold beyond what kind of any of us expected so far. And yeah, I mean, it's just, I it couldn't have asked for a better week rolling it out. It's been really busy, but you know, this is, this is the good kind of busy for sure. I think you know, the, the reaction has been overwhelmingly positive, but I think you, for an author of a book, you, it has drummed up pretty much just the right amount of controversy to the point where people are talking about it. Yet you've come under some criticism for a certain part of the books, but overwhelmingly, I think the, the overall response has been very positive. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And I think you're right. It's it's like, I, you know, I'm biased, of course, but I personally think that the controversy that's been drummed up, the people who have been on the opposite side of the argument have come off looking poorly. So, so it has been. It's like been the kind of controversy that's been like sort of easily surmounted, but it's enough to like get people's eyes on it. Which means that you know my cynical formula worked. This is exactly <laughs> how I planned it. No, no, it's you know it's the same thing, man. It's the same thing I keep saying. It's like you know you've read it. Like I just was trying to be honest and write an honest book about the people, the PGA Tour, and and that has pissed some people off. And it's been great. It's been wonderful to piss them off, and it's been wonderful that they've drawn <laughs> attention to the book. So I think that says more about the culture around the PGA Tour than necessarily does about anything you wrote because. I know coming, your background is not necessarily rooted in the PGA Tour. This is kind of a this has been a new thing you did following the tour for around a year, and you've kind of it's kind of the same reason I exist or our website exists is we like to do things differently than the traditional golf media does things. So, I w- would you agree that that's kind of the the root of the what negative sentiment there is out there that 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 was kind of the root of it that you kind of ruffled some feathers and did things a little bit differently and maybe approached some topics that other people aren't fully comfortable approaching yeah i think so and i think i think it does make people very uncomfortable um and the ways they try to spin it are funny you know i I was out there and i spent you know 30 32 weeks or something on the tour at different tournaments and i think a lot of people uh, are trying to push forward the idea that I went like on a Thursday of a minor tournament, <laughs> saw Bubba Watson, like refused to give someone an autograph, and then went and wrote a book. Uh, and, and that is very much not the case. You know, I was I was there entrenched. I probably went to you know more tournaments that year than most normal you know beat reporters. But yeah, I, I don't know, man. What, what do you think? It's like it's almost like in golf, people there's a certain section of fans that identifies with the players to such a degree that if you criticize the players, it's like you're criticizing them. Like they, like they think their best buddies are Patrick Reed or Bubba or something. It's very confusing to me. I just, I don't understand. Uh, so, so a bit of background, I think, uh, tell me if you think I'm describing this properly, that some of the criticism you've come under is talking a bit about some certain parts of players past or their background 
that weren't made available by that player necessarily. Um, there's been some contesting of facts you've stated in the book relating to Patrick Reed, but for the most part, no one's really criticized the, or the truth behind what you've said about Victor Dubuisson or, or Bubba, Bubba Watson in that regard. But the, the controversy has been around, you know, you've uncovered these facts and you've also come to your own opinions on them. And the question is, why write about it? And that, that's, the, that's the antagonist, article, I guess, um, argument there. So how do you respond to people that say, you know, it's not your place to write about these certain things? Yeah, yeah, and I think I think you're right in that there's been a an attempt by people to uh, attack the truth of it, and Patrick Reed's the most famous example. And you know anybody who's curious about that should visit the Deadspin article. Uh, I think the title is Patrick Reed attempts to defend himself or takes a swing at defending himself, slices into the woods, <laughs> uh, and, it, and it, it gives a full recap of that. And I just like to point that out because. Uh, you know, anytime you're a reporter and people are saying you're writing lies or that you didn't research fully, you can't back it up. It's, it kind of is like, you know, you want to defend yourself. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, it's it's now, so the argument has shifted because they can't prove that something's not true. It's shifted to, well, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be um, researching the background of players' lives. And I honestly found that very difficult to argue against because, as far as I know, a principle of journalism in America has been that if you're writing a profile on somebody, uh, a public figure, you you investigate their life, and you don't just get one source, the player. You don't, you know. Otherwise, a player could just hand me a statement and say, "Here, I want you to write this. Yeah. This is how I. This is how I view myself. My, you know, my agent cooked this up, so just publish this and whatever out that you're writing in." Uh, yeah, I did journalism. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, period. Yes. If you don't like journalism, then yeah, make that argument, and that's fine. But I disagree with you. I mean, you know, that was the crux of Paige McKenzie's argument was that. They don't. The players should not be looked at beyond the results on the course, and I vehemently disagree with that with that attitude. Yeah, I think that that's um, back to what I was saying just about traditional golf media and the way they quote unquote report is at times they are, for better or worse, or more aptly described as they're a PR arm for the players, right? I mean, it's sure they can be. Yeah, yeah. and I think in this sport more than others, and I don't really have the data or the evidence or the background to really support that statement. But I feel like in golf, it's like that more than it is maybe basketball, football, or baseball, where writers can be more critical or they don't necessarily need the access to players like like golfers, like golf media does. I mean, it's, it's a pretty tight-knit community. Like they, they recognize the guys in the press conferences, and if there seems to be this culture of if you're going to write this about me, I'm not answering your questions anymore. I'm not. I'm not giving you the the, the scoop on anything. It's. And I think that's kind of what the golf. I was very critical of the way the golf channel approached the Patrick Reed story, in that they were basically acting like a PR firm, PR firm for Patrick Reed, and they they're protecting their own, their players, the guys that they report on. Whereas you know, if this was a 150th ranked player in the world, would they be taking the same angle? So I think that that's kind of where, again, you've just kind of ruffled some feathers in some people that it doesn't sit right. Yeah, and I think, you know, I will say for the golf channel, you know, they had me on Thursday and gave me a ton of time, and I appreciate mm-hmm. that. So, but yeah, no, you know, I, I agree with you. And it's, you know, I think the difference is that if you're a reporter covering a team sport, you're covering the team. Whereas when you're covering golf, you're covering the individual. So if you offend somebody when you're covering a team, well, you know, they're going to be traded eventually, or, or you have everybody else on the team you can talk to, or, whatever yeah whereas in golf you know if you're a beat reporter and you piss off Bubba Watson or you piss off Tiger that's like 25 years maybe where you where you you know you, you really damage your career you've cut off access and so 
there's a very good reason why why sometimes golf media seems like a PR arm. And for the record, I don't think that's true across the board. Uh, but it comes across that way because it, it is that way. I mean, the system is entrenched that way. And that's why, you know, with this book, I was like, the philosophy was, I don't care. I don't care what happens to me after it. If I never cover golf again or if the players boycott me or if agents hate my guts and whatever. It's whatever. The book is, I'm just going to write an honest book and let the chips fall where they're going to fall. And I, yeah, that, that's, the whole, that's the whole attitude behind it. And it's it's obviously ruffled some feathers. Well, I think, I mean, it's worked out well, though. I mean, I, I a full disclaimer, I would, I've read the book. I just finished it this past weekend. And you and I are friends. We've never met in person, but I would lie to you and say that I loved it, even if I didn't. But I, re- <laughs> I would. But that is not the case. I really did love it. I, I plowed through it once. I had the time to sit sit down and read it. I had about two hours in the Budapest airport this past weekend to read it. And everyone that was waiting for the plane that I was waiting for was had a had a copy in their hand as well. So the people. <laughs> The people, of Bud- the people of Budapest, Hungary are big fans <laughs> of slaying the tiger. I would love to get an email from my publisher agent being like, you're not going to believe this, but your book is selling like crazy in Budapest <laughs> in Hungary. I mean, they are really into it. There was no golf culture there, but they're, they're really digging this. I will say, I was on the plane yesterday finishing it, and there was a really nice Malaysian man sitting next to me who wasn't even being sneaky about the fact that he was just reading the book, like paid word for word. He was just had his eyes on the book, <laughs> like almost to the point where he was kind of upset when I would turn the page if he wasn't done yet. <laughs> yeah, he just like taps on the shoulder. You're going a little quick. Uh, English is not my first language, yeah. so I would ask you to slow down. Um, well, that's good. He's going to take it back to Malaysia now. It's going to spread in all these very strange countries. You're, yeah, you're welcome for spreading your book worldwide. But um, <laughs> so, if you were somebody that's listening to this podcast that hasn't hasn't bought the book yet, um, what would you if you were to share? I mean, there's been excerpts that have released online, and you you know you've released you know a chapter on Bubba Watson, chapter on Matt Every. I've seen one on Patrick Reed, obviously. Where would you point someone to? Like, what part of the book would you point to and be like, this is what you're going to get in this book that you can't get somewhere else? Like, this is what I, this is my story. This is what I got. This is what I said that somebody else isn't, re- isn't willing to say. What would be your main, what would you would share with somebody as your selling point for your book? Oh, man. Yeah, that's a good question. There's, there's just a, it kind of depends on, on what you're looking for. I think, uh, you know, obviously I wrote all these chapters and I love them all and I stand behind them all. You know, if you're looking for, like, a kind of uplifting story about a guy who came from rags to riches, you know, you'll like the Jason Day story or the Ricky Fowler story or the Billy Horschel story. Um, if you're looking for, you know, more information on guys who are controversial, uh, Patrick Reed and Bubba Watson, I really, like, some, I think some of the, my favorite writing in the book comes in the Rory chapters. Um, I guess I'll stop there because I'm slowly naming every single chapter <laughs> in the book. <laughs> hey, you should be proud of your work. You should like it. Yeah. Let me just read you the table of contents, Chris. It's, 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 uh, but yeah, and, uh, but I, I will say the last thing is I think like my greatest feat of investigative reporting in the book um, was the Victor Dubuisson thing because it was this mystery that kind of eluded everybody and there was a language barrier there. So there was a lot to go through and I, I'm pretty proud that I got his story. Uh, so yeah, yeah, like various things like that. Um, the whole book. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, a, a follow up to that or the complete opposite of that. What is something you wrote in the book that you already, you know, I, I mean, I don't know when you submitted a final draft. I know, um, you had submitted several chapters or, or most of it in, I believe in the fall. And then you had wait a long process of writing a book. It takes a lot, long, a long time for it to be published. 
And like, there's a follow-up chapter on what Jordan Spieth did at the Masters this year, but it's very short. Spoiler alert. Sorry if I'm ruining your book. But is there anything you wrote in the book that you look at, like looking back at now, you're like, ooh, I would already like that one back. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. Speak on the Masters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what if there's somebody out there who's just been like not watching golf for a year, waiting for my books? Like, I don't want to ruin anything. He's got it DVR'd. It, it, along with last night's Game of Thrones, he's got them both DVR'd, and he hasn't watched yeah. it yet. That's the benefit. That's why all the Budapest readers love it because they have no idea who's won anything. It's all very suspenseful. No, you know, I think I think the closest thing that, um, that comes to that is the Jordan Spieth chapter. I think. I, you know, I think that's the one where it's like, well, you write about the season of struggle and you write about these times when he came really close in these big tournaments but seemed to sort of talk himself out of it. And you spend a lot of time analyzing um, the weakness, like sort of mental weakness uh, as, I, as I, you know, identified it um, and devote, like, you know, a, a good amount of reporting and a good amount of energy to that. And then what happens is he overcomes this obstacle in less than a year and wins the Masters. But... What, I, what I've said before is that, yeah, that, that looks a little, uh, I guess you could look at it that way, but I, I always felt like I was watching someone grow up. Yeah. And I think, I think what's awesome about the book is that like, you have now this document of a guy overcoming the last thing that's keeping him from greatness. You know, obviously his game is there. Obviously he's more mature than like any other 20-year-old in the history of the world. Um, but he had this one impediment he couldn't get over. And, and this is the story of the year where he was trying to get over it. You know, we'll never see that again with speed. So I'm actually super happy that I have that. What's one thing that's come from the book since since its release or before its release that has been, I guess, the big, the coolest thing or, like, the biggest surprise? Like, somebody you heard from, like, oh, I did not expect this person to read my book or this person to, you know, encourage people to buy it. What's been, like, the coolest thing that's come from this whole process? Yeah, Tiger Woods reached out to me and just said, <laughs> I... I don't read books. I've never read a book before, but yours was amazing. Uh, and I'm going to write an Amazon review for you. So that was, just that one was question, Mr. Mr. Ryan. Why is my name on the cover of the book? I'm just... <laughs> like, no, I wasn't referring to you, Tiger. I'm sorry for that misconception. <laughs> it's a metaphor. Uh, it's, it's a metaphor. <laughs> I love that. Uh, no, you know, uh, oh boy, that's, that's a good question. A lot of, you know... I feel like it's a lot of the usual suspects who've read it, but there have been a lot of media people who've reached out to me. It's been cool. Um, you know, Gary Williams on the Golf Channel has been just a huge supporter of the book. Uh, a lot of people saw the interview and they're like, well, he kind of grilled you. And it's like, yeah, but that's what he's supposed to. That's how yeah. it should be. Um, and so, yeah, he's been a big supporter. Um, you know, President Clinton, uh, just guys <laughs> like that. <laughs> Very normal process. I understand. I understand. Yeah, yeah. Like out of people, like yeah, it's been like you and Stephanie Way has been really helpful. Uh, Jimmy <laughs> Carter, Jimmy Carter, just go from Bill Clinton to me. Like <laughs> <laughs> so normal golf media names, and then you know, uh, Kanye reached out. And yeah, said, you know, can't put it down. Uh, so. Riley Curry, I'm sure you heard from her on the book. Riley Curry has been an enormous supporter of mine, even before this book. Like going back to my Grantland days, she has been amazing. <laughs> Well, one question I, I've been stewing over and what, going around in my head is, again, back to some of the, not to keep bringing up all these criticisms of the book, I feel like I'm downtrodding your book, but you, something like the Bubba Watson, most of the, or a lot of what's in the Bubba Watson chapter, again, spoiler alert, is about how he basically wouldn't talk to you. And one of the analogies that Paige McKenzie used on the Golf Channel when she spoke about it was that you, it's she's. It sounded like maybe to her that you came off like a scorned writer that basically Bubba wouldn't talk to you, so you went in and shredded him. 
I think you would argue otherwise. But the analogy she used was that, which I, I know you sure you probably don't want to be too critical of people at the Golf Channel, but I have no problem doing it. That she was once snubbed by Corey Pavin in a golf tournament 15 years prior, but for an autograph, and she hated him for 15 years. And then she, her, her brother met him years later, and he was the nicest person ever. And she compares that to you trying week after week after week after week to get in touch with Bubba Watson in an interview and not being available. And then, but I think you make it pretty clear in that chapter that what you're writing is basically your opinion of him based on what you've gathered from others. And you gave Bubba the chance to speak on the record to talk about his childhood, to talk about him in general, and he wouldn't speak to you. Is that a fair representation of how the Bubba Watson story is written? Yeah, yeah, and you know, like the Corey Pavin story, let's be honest, it's devastating to me. Uh, it's going to go down as one of the great moments. <laughs> the, the, the biggest time you've gotten burned in your entire life. <laughs> that was that was so confusing listening to that story. Were, were I didn't you... know what was up or what was down. I didn't get to see it at the time because I, I left, but you know, I watched it later and it was like, what does any of this mean? That's, um, what, that's what, I, too, I was at work and I just like tuned into just that, like I turned it in for the first time and just saw that part and you weren't there. I was like... What is going on here? Why is this being discussed? Wasn't he just on? Why couldn't she have said this when he was on? What is going on here? No, but you know what's come of that? And I, this, this one guy wrote a whole negative review on, on his blog saying that Shane Ryan, all he did was write positive stories about players he had access to and negative stories about guys who wouldn't talk to him. Well, let me give you guys who talked to me. Patrick Reed. <laughs> uh, Justin Johnson, I had a long interview with. Uh, you know, Victor Dubuisson, uh, I had an email interview with. Okay, here's guys I didn't talk to. Uh, Adam Scott, Rory McIlroy. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Like, Keimer, I barely talked to. Uh, you know, and Ricky Fowler, I talked to at the very end, but that chapter would have looked super similar even if I hadn't talked to him. Yeah. So th- there's, like, your refutation right there. Like, I talk, there's a lot of guys who said no to me all year. All year, time after time, and they came off looking great in the book because I'm honest. I'm not some petulant dude who is like, you know, I'm not like looking at Corey Pavin, not giving an autograph, and then writing a scathing chapter. That's such a stupid reduction, sorry, of what my book is, and it's yeah. insulting. It's you know not fair. I mean? Yeah, it's it, it, like I I wrote honestly, and and this is actually like going. I'm going to make this point too. People talk about. Oh, nobody's going to talk to reporters anymore because of your book. There's nothing in my book, or like almost literally nothing, that I got from a one-on-one interview that was astoundingly negative. Okay, Patrick Reed didn't sit down with me and talk about uh, you know everything, uh, all the controversial stuff. Patrick Reed sat down and talked to me and gave me the glowing details about himself, as you would expect, as anybody would. And that formed a big part of that chapter. If I hadn't talked to Patrick Reed, that chapter would have been even more negative because I wouldn't have had this other stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so there's no, there's no downside to sitting down and talking with reporters who are going to write about you. I think unless you're literally like someone who's going to spout off like racist, like hate speech. You know what I mean? If, if you're, if you're anything short of that, you're going to come off looking good. Um, so anyway, yeah, the, the thing about access and, and punishing people for not talking to me is just blatantly untrue. Well, it's not like you miss, no one's accusing you at any point of misquoting anything, are they? I mean, that, so that whole argument of no one's going to talk to the press anymore, basically that, that would stem from the, you running with something they said and turning it into something that it's not. But that's not the root of any of the criticism you've received, is it? No, no, that, that goes back to the thing. Nobody's nobody's attacking me on like the truth of the of the book, you know, or the merits of the book, except Patrick Reed. Um, but yeah, you know, so so you, you, what you're seeing here is the argument adjusting and the argument transforming over and over. Uh, another thing I've heard is that I hate golf. 
Um, and that's why, you know, why am I writing a book about golf when I hate it? That's the newest, like, iteration of the, uh, you know, anti-slaying the tiger take. <laughs> so, and there'll, there'll be more, you know, like, there'll, there'll be other things. I read the Amazon review saying the book was too obsessed with tiger. Um, I don't know. There's just, there's a lot of different angles I guess people are taking, but... Yeah, that's the way it goes. That's good, though. That's good to drum up interest in your book, I think. But um, I did see, I think you're doing this later on. You're doing a Ask Me Anything with the folks on Re- at Reddit Golf. Is that right? Yeah, and I'll tell you, Chris, that just is just hot off the presses. This is breaking news on your podcast. I am also doing Doug Gottlieb's show this afternoon. Whoa, wow. I, I, you got, I got to you before Doug Gottlieb did. I, it's safe to say I've got the access then, huh? Yeah, and I'm, believe me, I'm not going to give him anything. <laughs> be loyal to no laying up and be like, Doug, this is how it goes. <laughs> if you can drop a no laying uptake on, on Doug Gottlieb's show, then the debt, the debt will have been repaid. Every, um, every question, every answer is going to start with, well, as I said on No Laying Up podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I had what I, I saw what I did see today, and I don't. I'm trying to pull it up now. I don't find it. Is, is some kind of comment you made regarding the Bubba chapter in Christianity? And what was? Uh, can you describe what you made on the comment so far before before people have opened up to asking you questions about? I believe you said there was a, a chapter in the book on Christianity that didn't make it in the final cut because I know I, in the book you and I remember you said on the Golf Channel that you know, Bubba, Bubba Watson basically brags of being the best Christian on, on tour, maybe on the planet. And yeah, you right, find right. him to be a big hypocrite for that. Um, and I, I, I didn't, I was curious, I, that was the first I'd seen anywhere where you had said that there was a chapter on Christianity that was taken out of the book. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, well, you know, it was the same thing of like, okay, there's the Christianity is huge on the PGA tour. There's, there's a, you know, Bible studies, we always hear about it every week. And so my thing was, you know, I grew up Catholic, but I don't necessarily go to church or anything like that. I, I probably have like a spiritual side, but it's not a huge part of my life. Um, and so I want to understand it, you know what I mean? And as stupid as that sounds, it was so big, I wanted to have a, a deep understanding of this. And so I, I spoke with this guy, Stephen Bunn, who runs the College Golf Fellowship and is the chaplain that runs the weekly Bible study meetings for, you know, something like 15 to 20 weeks out of the year. And so, you know, he's close with a lot of the players. He's a very charming guy. He's based in Alabama. He, you know, he, he delivers the message of the Bible to these guys in a way that really resonates with them. And then I talked with Michael Thompson, who is, you know, one of the a really big Christian and a nice guy and has a great perspective on it. And so I wrote this chapter on Christianity, on what it means to these guys, why it's useful in golf. Um, and, you know, giving the very, like, short version of it, it's because every golfer, no matter what they choose, needs some kind of, uh, they, they need to be outcome independent. Mm-hmm. And the ways they the ways they choose to do that are uh, these, thi- these things that give them, like, comfort, or I guess that make it less nervous and less horrible and less panicky on the golf course and christianity is one way and i think that's part of the reason it, it attracts so many people um but yeah i went in depth on this and i really hope it's published somewhere I, I think i want to try to publish it somewhere soon um but yeah i wanted to understand it and so now like because that chapter got cut for length as a lot of chapters did i get a lot of people saying oh you're just attacking you're just some like stupid liberal attacking bub on his christianity and what the point i try to make is that i really respect a lot of these guys who are christians not that i you know, not that I live their lifestyle or anything, but I look at what they do and they they're sincere about it, mm-hmm. and and that's my criticism of Bubba. Not that he's a Christian, that's that's fine. The the criticism is he doesn't live by Christian ideals, uh, despite the fact that he spouts them, you know, at every possible chance. Uh, does he? I haven't seen that anywhere. I'm not sure I've seen I've seen that. You're welcome. <laughs> You're, you gotta look closely. You gotta look <laughs> closely. 
Um, all right. Well, if I hadn't given it a hard enough sell yet, I would say to anyone listening, you really should check out Shane's book. It's available on Amazon. I'll share a link to the book within the post of this podcast. And uh, it, it, it's, 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 it's something you can't get somewhere else. That's what I found so interesting. I can honestly say I learned more about every single player in the within the book than I knew going into it. And it's stuff that I haven't read in other places, and I don't think you're going to see that kind of reporting and that kind of background information. Um, and plus, it's just kind of fun to relive that season. I mean, it started off a very slow start to the season and ended with you know, all the fun we had with Rory in the latter half of the year and Horschel's FedEx Cup run. And it's, 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 a, it's a great book to keep on the coffee table, and uh, it's, it's easy, easy read, easy to plow through, 400 pages or so that – uh, it's easy to read when you have Malaysian men looking over your shoulder on airplanes. So, which you mostly will. Yeah, uh, most of you will have just, it. And just to recap, Chris would have said he loved the book, yes, even if he didn't. He I would but he would not have issued a disclaimer, yes. saying that he would have said he loved the book Correct. if he hadn't actually loved the book. That's how you know it's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm all about shaking things up, um, doing things differently than than this. I think I've made that clear than the stuff that's you know that we traditionally see. So. Uh, and there's plenty of things that happen throughout. You know, there's a lot of it's been released online through your control, obviously. And um, I, I think the stuff that you did release kind of gives people a great insight as to w- as to what the rest of the book is is about. And you've done that without you know releasing everything. And uh, I, it's a great read. I, I really I mean it. And uh, I think a lot of the criticism is unfounded. But I'm actually happy for you that it's happening because I think it's generating even more buzz and making even more people want to read it. So. Absolutely, thank you. Um, thank you, and we're going to put the disclaimer on the cover of the jacket in the next edition. So. It's a long, <laughs> would somebody would somebody review? Yeah, you put book quote reviews. That's <laughs> my review. I would have lied to Shane and said that it was good if it wasn't. <laughs> no, I really do appreciate that, man. I, I actually, you're, you're. I don't want to flatter you here. I'm not trying to. Uh, I don't. I can't think of the idiom at the moment. <laughs> um, fluff your feathers. That's it. I'm not trying to fluff your feathers here, Chris. But no, your opinion was one I was eager to get because you know I love reading your stuff, and I think you are. I think you represent the golf counterculture on Twitter. And I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's. I mean that totally sincerely. Which, if uh, I so. did, if I didn't represent that, would you lie to me and tell me that I did? If Chris, if I didn't believe that Chris Solomon represented the golf cart catcher, I like him enough that I would lie and say it. However, I wouldn't issue the disclaimer I'm issuing now, and I expect this to go on no laying up, what I'm just saying. <laughs> we are just, we're nauseated at this point. People are turning this podcast off if they made it Yeah, this they hate fun. us. That's what I want to do eventually is isolate everyone over the course of this book promotion. <laughs> well, sliding on for the book promotion, the U.S. Open is, of course, this week. Um, you will be at Chambers Bay. You're on your way there at the moment, right? You are stuck in Seattle, I believe. Yeah, and one of the things I said in my book, Slaying the Tiger, <laughs> <laughs> available on Amazon.com. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, I put, <laughs> we oh man, we are insufferable. This is great. <laughs> Uh, no, I uh, yeah, I flew in yesterday to Seattle. Got to walk around the city. It's my first time out here. It's it's great. It's a beautiful little hilly city. So if I ask you who the who the guys that you like this week are, are you just going to go in order and name the chapters of your book for the same guys that you wrote about? Yeah, no, I, I like Justin Rose. I like Jordan Spieth. The book Slaying the Tiger out on Amazon <laughs> now. Uh, Rory McIlroy. No. Uh, I, I would say that the two guys I really love, um, and this is going to blow your mind. This is this is a hot hot take Uh-oh. coming up here. 
are Justin Rose and Jordan Speed. <laughs> Dude, I swear to God, I'm on those two exact guys and one more, and that's Billy Horschel. The two guys that I like the most are Spieth and Rose. That's that's amazing that you said that. People are really turning this podcast off now. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. I mean, like obviously, like people talked about, it. like Spieth, he's a great player. His game fits the scores. And Greller, you know, started his career at Chambers Bay, which you got, you got. I mean, they, it's possible to overrate that. Like if Spieth comes out and plays horribly, the fact that his caddy knows the course doesn't mean anything. But if he's playing well, you kind of think it's worth like three or four strokes, right, over the course of a weekend. Um, and, yeah, Rose, I mean, we saw Rose, how well he played at a tough course at Marion when he won the U.S. Open. He's in amazing form, uh, and it just seems like he's hungry in a way that maybe he hasn't been since he won the U.S. Open. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think those guys, I mean, I think they're great pick. I look at, like, I feel like Kevin Kisner, Chris, is going to, he's just been so good lately that I feel like he's going to have a great tournament. Um, and I love I love Jimmy Walker. Jimmy Walker's actually the guy that, if he doesn't finish top five this week, I'll be a little bit surprised because I think this is he's played great in the majors the last two years, hasn't quite cracked it. I think this might be the one where he, he gets really close. Interesting. No, I think back to what you're saying about Greller and Speed, that kind of um, golf.com I think had a headline or something that said the main reason why Speed is going to compete at Chambers Bay, his caddy. And I was like, right. well, wait a second here. It might be the fact that he's the number one, number two player in the world and just won the Masters. That may help. <laughs> that might help him compete. But and of course, where people don't really know, you do. And I did. A, I, I all I've done, the only research I've done about Chambers Bay is I did flip through the flyovers of all the holes today. But I mean, there does just seem to be this mystery about this course that is really, really unique. And you know, I've already been joking about how much we can anticipate the players bitching this week, but I really do think it's going to be a lot because these green complexes look like there are elephants buried underneath them. And if, if the USGA is not <laughs> careful with some of these pins, and I think Billy Horschel's even said that, he says he likes the course, he's worried about how they're going to set up the greens. I'm actually a little bit nervous after watching the, watching the flyover. What do you know about Chambers Bay so far? I know you haven't made it out on site yet, but what are you hearing and what do you think about how it's going to play this week? Yeah, I always say, you know, I, I love reading Shane Bacon when he writes about golf courses. I think he's just got... Such great insights. So I poured over my research was to pour over his take on Chambers Bay. So essentially, I'm just parroting him now. But um, it's like the fairways are going to be super wide. That's one thing. And so, you know, obviously you hear that and you're like, okay, well, good for the you know, good for the bombers. Uh, but these greens are gigantic, and like you said, they're they're crazy. They're crazy, crazy humpbacked, and and just, I think the quote was like, some greens are like four and one. Um, so you can get on the green and get to a place where a two putt is virtually impossible, or, you know, you'll have to make an amazing second putt to two putt. So I think like distance putting is going to be big. Obviously precision irons are going to be huge because you want to be on the correct part of the green. Um, yeah. And that's kind of why I like Walker a little bit because he's good at all those. He's the best putter in stroke gained. He is, I'm looking at my stats I have here. He's 11th in fairway approach proximity and he's long off the tee. He's like 20th in driving distance. So yeah, I just think I think it's going to be tough, but I don't know with a dry week, especially if, if it rains a little bit. I, I kind of wonder if we might not see someone who pulls the Keimer like last year, yeah. and someone who actually like scores really well on this course. Well, thank you for spoiling uh, Bacon's take because I think I'm going to have him on the podcast tomorrow. So there's no no reason for any of that. But uh, <laughs> I think I think what it, what you're saying about the greens is going to kind of help neutralize putting in, in a sense that. Kind of the way last year did. I think it's going to be a ball-striking fiesta. The guys that are going to strike the ball and hit a lot of greens in regulation are going to be the guys to beat. Kind of the way Keimer did it last year, and, and basically anything he missed on the green, he putted from off the green and putted it 
to tap in range and made par. So <clears throat> I don't know why I've, you know, the more I learn about Chambers Bay, the further I get away from Horschel, but I still keep having this image in my mind of Horschel just terrorizing this course with his irons. And because there's the driving areas are are big, but you need precision in certain areas from what I've seen. And there's going to be so many different looks off these tee boxes that you're going to need guys that I think can not only can hit their drivers really far, but hit their three woods into tight spaces. And I feel like he's a guy that really does that well. And, and I mean, obviously I'm not out there following, following his play and watching the way he shapes shots, but I've watched him hit his three wood off the tee. And it's a, it's a, it's a lot bigger weapon than I think people realize. It's not quite the same length that, you know, Henrik Stenson is, but I don't know. I keep getting that image in my mind, but also I picked Spieth before the season started to win the U.S. Open, so that's kind of the reason I'm sticking with him as well. But kind of, I think Adam Sarson made this point today. Not a lot, a whole lot of Rory talk going on right now. Yeah, and one thing, real quick, I want to bring up about Spieth is so he won the Masters, and we saw the hype machine go crazy for Mm -hmm. him. And then I think you and I and a couple people were like, well, like, hold on, Rory McIlroy is still the best player in the world, and it's like, why are we ignoring Rory? But can you imagine if Spieth did win the U.S. Open? Oh my like, God. how crazy that would be. Like, he, all of a sudden, like, you could legitimately say he's on Rory's level to some extent. Yeah, or yeah. he's, like, re- or he's really close. Like, that would change, that would change, like, what we know about the young generation of golf. It would, it would, it would start the rivalry, I think. It, I mean, it would be, they, they would be the major title holders of all four titles. Like, the two of them, but under yeah. the age of 26. I mean, that would... All right, yeah, you just got me way too excited for the U.S. Open if that happened to me. I mean, that, like, that would be a huge perspective. I mean, it's possible to overplay stuff like this, but I don't think you can overplay that. If, if Spieth wins this, it's like game on. I mean, that would be that would be awesome. Yeah, um, it's hard to do the what-if game, obviously, on on the Monday week of the U.S. Open. But, I mean, it's it's already it's already been a dream season. I mean, and if, if Kepka could have won yesterday, we would have had, you know, Rory, Spieth, Walker. Is Walker, I think, he's won twice this year. Yeah, Rory Spieth, yeah, Walker, yeah. and Kepka as two-time winners on the as the two-time winners on tour this year. I mean, the last three weeks we've had kind of no-name winners, but before that we were hitting the jackpot every single week. I feel like we this is the court. This kind of course is going to. I've heard people say like it's it's anyone's game. This is if there's going to be a major where we get a random winner, it's going to be this one. But I don't. I don't. I can't picture that. I can't picture anyone outside of the top twenty favorites winning this event. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I don't. I don't think it's the kind of course where we're going to see a no-name win, and I hope it's not. Actually, I mean, if I can say that, I mean, good for them if they do it. But yeah. um, with Rory, I, you and I talked, I think, before the Masters, and we were both like, "Why are people saying Rory's going to win? Like, look at his yeah. current form. This is not his tournament." And I have to say, this might sound stupid because he won two tournaments in America like a month ago. However, I don't necessarily think you come off being fatigued and getting cut from two straight tournaments and looking terrible and play your best golf at the U.S. Open. So I almost feel the same way as I did the Masters, where I'm like, yeah, like he for sure could sneak a top ten, but I just don't see him winning this. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Rory, to, I mean, it's, it's just doesn't even seem right to criticize him for this, is that he has his runs when he is clearly the best player on the planet. There's no doubt. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. his just, his, his not, his, you know, his C game, his D game or whatever, it's a pretty far drop-off. Again, I hate the, the flinch instinct to compare everything to Tiger, but we want him to be Tiger, and you know that's the one thing about Tiger in his prime is when his game was really off, he was finishing 25th instead of missing the cut two back-to-back weeks. So, yep. I yep. mean, I don't even think that is necessarily a criticism of his rather than it is just the truth. And so 
we don't know what we're going to see when he shows back shows up. I mean, if he was hot coming into this, I would say we can pretty much pencil him pencil him into the top ten. I don't think we can pencil him into the top ten this week, but I, I'm not counting him out. He could turn it back on in, in a heartbeat. But it's just you still there's still that element with Rory that you don't know what you're going to get. Maybe even more more in the way I, I feel like I can trust Spieth's results more than I can Rory's. I don't expect Spieth to just completely hit the eject button anytime, and he never really does. Whereas Rory can just go on these 77, 78s and you know send people right into this back in this turmoil of trying to figure out what's wrong with his game. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And Spieth, you know, I think he's missed one cut Spieth since February, and that was when he played with Rory uh, over the first two days of the Players Championship. Which I don't know. Sometimes you read into the psychological aspect, and it's like, well, I don't know if that's true, but I kind of do feel. There may have been something there because it's like you, you look at it, it's the only tournament where he struggled the way he did any time in recent memory, uh, and so yeah, he's playing with Day and Rose, and I think that's pretty big too that he's not going to have Rory uh, in the same group on Thursday and Friday. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, like you said, Rory. I mean, if he all of a sudden starts driving brilliantly, I mean, yeah, he could he could do what he did at Congressional a couple of years ago. So. We'll see. I'm so excited, man. I think this tournament's going to be awesome, and I just can't wait for it to start. I can't either, man. Being a golf fan in Europe has never been harder than it will be this week because this is going to be oh, on a prime time on the U on the East Coast. But it the it wraps at four and four thirty. The coverage on Saturday and a.m. for me on Saturday and Sunday nights. Oh boy! I have a full time job. Are you going to stay up? Like, what are you going to do? I think I have to. Don't it's a major, right? I mean, I have to. But like, <laughs> I, would, I would not do it Saturday if I were you. I would do it. I would. I would save everything up. Maybe do it Friday and then get your rest. Because then Sunday, you got to see it Sunday. But you're gonna have to go to work like two hours later, right? Yeah, I mean, I have to stay up Sunday, no doubt. Maybe I just nap between like noon and or midnight and two, and then see the <laughs> ending. I don't know. I mean, I, I do have to see it, but I don't. I, I haven't really game planned around this yet, but. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I can talk. I can talk to the USGA about shifting some of the times forward if you can want. Can you? Can you? Yeah, I mean, I can have a word. You know, they they usually like me, so I, I'm not promising anything. But you never know. Yeah, I, it, it's test, it's testing me, man. I, I don't I don't know. I haven't developed a strategy for this yet. But uh, normally, I like it because watching golf in the evening, like I can live, I can have like a full day. Like I, just yesterday, I was in Budapest until 5:30 p.m. Got on a flight. Came home and got on, and then players weren't even on the back nine yet, so I could still see the end of end of the end of the round of golf. You can still have a full day, but this is this is a game changer. Going to the West Coast in the summer where there's basically unlimited sunlight, it's gonna mm-hmm. be it's it's a game changer for me. I'm so I just want to say I'm so jealous of your life because I, I feel like I look every weekend you're traveling somewhere cool. Uh, you seem like you have cool friends. You just seem just what a what a life you're living, Chris, <laughs> over in Europe. No, really though, I look at him like, damn, I, I would love to be doing what he's doing. I don't know if I'd want to like work at KPMG. Like I'm sure you're way better at that. Like I would destroy the company within a matter of a week. <laughs> but uh, but the rest of your social life seems awesome. Well, to tell you the truth, at this time a year ago, I'd been to three countries in my entire life: the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Wow. And as of now, I've been to twenty. So I've just I got moved to Amsterdam in October and I've just been a traveling maniac and trying to see as many places as I can while I'm here and it it has been fun it's been a lot of fun but uh, you know at times that you know you I still miss things about home miss seeing people like I just missed one of our no laying up guys weddings la- la- two weekends ago you know it's just a thing that you just can't you can't you you don't think about the things that you do miss about home and you know I've got to stay up super late to watch the U.S. Open so my life is really is a lot harder than it looks man so. 
Yeah, you're you're living the struggle. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I I think I think the U.S. Open. I, I like how you're like, you know, yeah, there was this wedding I missed, but the U.S. Open, yeah. man, that's really, that really gets me. Well, that's the thing is, I checked in with Todd, who was the guy, our guy that got married, and uh, it's like, hey man, how was how was the wedding? And it's like, oh man, it was great. Did what happened to Dustin Johnson? Did he get ejected? Like, it's just. <laughs> Right back into golf. It's awesome. That's great. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. The wife's good. Everything's fine. Uh, <laughs> she actually, she's she wants to know what happened to Dustin Johnson. But um, what do you think, a guy? Who, all right, who is the guy this week that we're going to hear from the loudest or first as far as whining about the course? I have a guess. <laughs> yeah. Gee, who could that be? <laughs> is there anybody out there who's obviously very temperamental and puts his foot in his mouth all the time and? Is known to be a mental midget when the courses are tough. It's like, gonna be like when, like when there's water on the club face, or so just to throw out a hypothetical. It's gonna be Lewis Hazen. I know exactly what you're yep. thinking. It's, it's exactly, exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> no, it's either gonna be Bubba or Poulter, right? I mean, like there's there's nobody else besides those two that uh, that's gonna do it. Who, who knows? I mean, yeah, but I, boy, Bubba Bubba's gotta have the best odds on that one. Well, who's gonna bitch about the drones first? Because Fox has been uh, you know talking about how they're gonna be using drones out on the course. I know, I see the things that PGA Tour players complain about. There's no possible way this is going to go over well with them. Like, not a single possible way, right? Yeah, I just want to see, like, an overzealous Fox producer, like, getting the drone, like, really close to a player. <laughs> <laughs> As he's in his backswing, and then taking off after the ball. Uh, yeah, no, that, that can't go well. But I'm, I'm sure they know, I don't know, the, the Fox coverage in general is going to be very interesting, I think. Um I feel like it probably won't be like there's going to be some hiccups, right? Because this is yeah. their first huge go. But I don't know. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it's great. But I didn't hear about the drones. That's fascinating. Well, you know, here's what I say about Fox. As long as they're showing a lot of shots and telling the story all right, I can live with you know the commentators not being fully you know having great chemistry, and I can live with Joe Buck. What things I hate about CBS is like I feel like they get too caught up in trying to tell this great story. Whoever's winning, like how, you know, telling his story and this great drama unfolding. Whereas if you just let golf happen, it's pretty dramatic and pretty awesome in itself. And I feel like other channels, ESPN did a great job when they held the U.S. Open of just zooming from guy to guy, shot to shot, and letting that the action be the action rather than it being this big drama production. And so go, and NBC, I don't think, is quite as bad as CBS at it. But I'm, I don't know. I'm fine with Fox taking over. I think it's going to be a new angle. It's going to be a fresh look. Um, it's gonna. You're right. It's gonna be imperfect. I think we should be prepared for it to be imperfect. But I mean, at the end of the day, they're professionals. They should know how to. They know how to call a sporting event. They got a lot of people on yeah, hand. Yeah. Shane Bacon's gonna carry that broadcast. Let's be honest. So. Oh, he's gonna be on TV. I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I think nice, that's the plan. Nice. Last I spoke to him, that was the plan. I guess that'll. That's all the more reason to tune in to the next the next episode of the NLU podcast because we're hoping to have Shane on tomorrow. But yeah, so this is the perfect time to pitch him the Shane and Shane video feature. <laughs> I've, been, I've been waiting until he had some kind of influence. Finally, we should we should get all three of us on one at some point. The Shane and Shane show. The Shane and Shane show with Chris Solomon. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what it's called. And like one of us drops out right away, so it's just you and one Shane. It just it just rolls right off the tongue. The Shane and Shane show with Chris Solomon. <laughs> yeah, the Shane and Shane show with Chris Solomon and Kyle Porter. <laughs> That's what it becomes immediately. But no, no, you're you're right, man. Like CBS, CBS, like will go to any length, won't they, to to have like a treacly kind of story, like 
Like Dustin Johnson when he was young, like he had the flu for a week and they just like cut away to him. Like I didn't know when I'd come back. Turns out it was a week. That your Jim Nance hushed tone is is really good. It's really good. Oh yeah, I, I got Hey, look, it's imperfect. Jim, it's like Fox and coverage. Jim, you're in the booth. No one can hear you. You do not need to whisper. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I don't think we're gonna have that problem with Joe Buck. So. Yeah, so. no, I, I wish I, like it'd be great to see Jim Nance just like yelling boisterously one time. <laughs> All right, so your final pick, you're going either Spieth or Rose. If you got to pick one of them, who's your pick? Let's say it's going to be a rematch, and Rose is going to get him this time All next right. Sunday. Okay, I'm going Spieth as my official pick. Um, I like Rose, and I think Hors- if I'm going outside the fifty to one guys, I like Horschel. So that's pretty much it, man. Yeah, I'll, uh, let's see. Outside fifty to one, um, Kisner is the guy you named. I like that too. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Kisner because I think it could be one of those weird stories where like he's never won a tournament, but it's gonna be the U.S. Open. His first, <laughs> it's gonna be the 1920s announcement. <laughs> I was just gonna say. <laughs> Have you ever heard of uh, of Scoops Callahan? Do you know who that is? Oh. Uh, Yes, I love him. Okay. So funny. For those that don't know, I think it's a Dallas radio guy that gets some access to these sporting events, and he uh, he goes into this 1920s reporter voice when he asks people questions, and he's done it with Phil Mickelson before, too, and it's so good. He, and he addresses all the players like, Champ, Champ, what was it like out there? You seemed like your offense was doing the Charleston, and you were doing the jitterbug. And everyone just gets so confused, and he does this. He does it to Phil, and Phil just is like, why are you yelling at me? You're a foot from me. <laughs> and the, way, the way Phil calls him Scoops. Yeah. He's like, Thanks, goes, Scoops. Okay, scoops. Yeah. <laughs> Phil, Phil had one of the best reactions. My favorite reaction of all was Eli Manning because he just answered the question like it was any reporter talking yeah. to him. Same, same with Mac Brown. He realized anybody was doing anything different. Yeah, same with Mac Brown. And then one time, there's one of Peyton Manning. He sees him. And like as he's about to get called on, he's like, "No, no, no, not this guy. That not, not this guy. You're not getting me again." I'll put the link. I'll put the link in the in the podcast post, so anyone left listening to this will know what we're talking about. But champ, 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 champ. <laughs> That's how any podcast we do from here on out. Both whenever I come on yours or you come on mine, you need to introduce me with champ, 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 champ. Who's going to win the U.S. Open this week? <laughs> All right, well, let's wrap it up there. Uh, for those of you that weren't fully convinced, you should check out Shane's book, Slaying the Tiger, A Year Inside the Ropes on the new PGA Tour. Follow Shane on Twitter, at Shane Ryan here. You can also find him at TobaccoRoadBlues.com. You can read his stuff on Golf Digest, Grantland, Paste, and I think that's it. Is that, a, is that it? Is that your whole biography? Uh, no, I don't know anymore. <laughs> um, watch the Golf Channel clips if you haven't. You can go to tobaccoroadblues.com. I, I just embedded all four of them. My, the first three are my interview. Uh, and then, like Chris said, the money the money one is the fourth one, which is the panel discussion afterward uh, featuring Damon Hack and Paige McKenzie. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's about it. You got it. All right. Well, hey, enjoy the U.S. Open. Um, see, get back to me on what they can do about those tea, getting those tee times moved up. And Absolutely. otherwise, we will uh, catch up sometime this summer. Awesome, Chris. Yeah, it's always uh, it's always a blast with you, man. What a what a personality you are. What oh, a charmer. Well, I appreciate that. I enjoy it as well. And all I did forget one thing. Shane is also host his podcast, The Friends of Tiger, which is my favorite golf podcast out there. So you guys should check that out. And I think that covers the ass kissing for this entire podcast. You know what my favorite podcast is, Chris? No, don't say it. Friends of Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Until next time. Thanks a lot, Shane. See you, Chris. Bye.
Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most!